last evening as I was, after the wedding, came home and was studying for this study, uh, I was really struggling with it. I was having a hard time getting my head into it. And, and just, just as a side note, traditionally when that happens with me, when I'm struggling with the subject, trying to get my thoughts together, and uh, traditionally it's God saying, you're studying the wrong thing. You can use that another time maybe, but that's not what I want for tomorrow. And so as I went through the process and uh, was trying to work things up, I finally left my bedroom, went out to the living room where my wife was, and <clears throat> she said, well, how's the study going? And I said, well, I'm really struggling with it right now. And she said, you know, I wish that you would, you would talk about what you talked about today in the wedding. That was really good information. And there was a peace that came over me at that point. It's hard to explain just the relief. It was just a relief like, oh my, that's what God wants. I said, I need to go back to the room and pray about that for a while and see where God leads. And went back and sure enough, God was directing me in that way. Things went much easier the rest of the evening after getting that settled and uh, so as a result what I'd like for you to do is just simply take your study guide and flip it over <clears throat> because uh, on the back of your study guide you'll find an empty sheet of paper that will be very beneficial I hope in uh, taking some notes and what I want you to do and what I'm begging you to do this morning is to be an active listener there's a big difference in an active listener and a passive listener. A passive listener, you're going to hear it, but it's not going to make a big impact on you. An active listener is where you're going to engage and you're going to take notes. And your thought process is, God, what do you have to say to me in this? Now, the reason I feel so strongly about that and the reason I'm begging you to be an active listener today is because for some reason... With 12 hours left before it's time to speak, God changes the direction of what we're going to be talking about today, which can only mean to me that somebody or a lot of us really need what we're going to talk about. And so as a result, it's very important when this time comes that we don't miss it. And we don't miss it because we're daydreaming or because we're thinking about where we're going for lunch. I shouldn't have even said that because now I put roast beef in your mind and uh, I'll never get some of you back. I know that. But how important it is for us to engage our discussion today. Please, please, please don't miss what we're going to talk about. Now, as many of you would think, <clears throat> you would be correct that today's discussion deals primarily with marriage. And so some of you are saying, okay, well, that doesn't apply to me. I can check out here. Uh, but please hear me. There's going to be tremendous application for you, whether you've, you've been divorced and, and now you're beyond that, you don't want any more of it, or whether you're just nowhere near that time, you're not ready for it, or you don't see any prospect, uh, prospects on the horizon, whatever the case may be for you, you may be thinking, I can check out, but I want you to know that there's a lot of application for you as well. Because the same things we're going to be talking about that apply to marriage 
in most ways will apply to our other relationships, whether that's family relationships or, or, or uh, community relationships, work or school relationships. You'll be able to take these same principles and adapt them a little bit because we're not talking about marriage, we're talking about other relationships. Adapt them a little bit to those relationships and find that those relationships are much stronger as well. So please stay tuned in here, okay? Keep, keep in with what's going on. The title, if you want to write it down, we're looking at four action steps to a healthy marriage. Four action steps to a healthy marriage. What does it take to have a healthy marriage? I want you to know that a healthy marriage doesn't come just because we wish it would. It doesn't happen just because I sit back and I think about having a healthy marriage. No, there's actually some things that have to be engaged. I have to do some things. I have to take some steps of action in order to see these things accomplished in my marriage. But I want you to know that it is possible for us to have healthy marriages, the kind of healthy marriages that last forever, that are the kind of marriage that you always dreamed of having. If we're willing to invest some effort and some time into seeing that accomplished okay so what are these four action steps well here they are number one don't write these down just yet because I want you to write them down as we come because my hope is that as we share one then you're gonna have a level of notes that maybe you weren't expecting and so you're not gonna have room if you happen to try to guess where the next points go but we're gonna be talking about love forgive remove and keep those are our four thoughts today what does that have to do with marriage? Okay, number one, I think this is the most obvious one, love. Love. Number one, your first write down on your sheet is the word love. We're talking about loving one another. Now, we don't have to question if this is something that God expects out of us or not. Jesus is very specific. You can write this reference down, John chapter 15 and verse 17, when he said, This is my commandment to you, love one another. Okay, so there's a direct commandment to us as children of God that we have a responsibility to love one another. Okay, so the responsibility is very clear-cut. It's laid out for us. There's, there's no hidden agenda here. There's no hidden pursuit. It's just very plain and simple. This is what God expects out of us. We are to love one another. You know the great commandment. Jesus was asked, he said, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And then he said, but the second is like it, that you love your neighbor even as you love yourself. And so we have this expectation placed upon us from Almighty God. <coughs> Excuse me. That, uh, that we will love each other. And that maybe that will help you stay tuned in when I get choked up and about pass out on the stage for lack of oxygen. So we have this expectation from God to love one another, don't we? God expects that. But you know, sometimes that can be really confusing. It's really confusing when you couple it with what, what uh, society tells us. What does society tell us about love? Society tells us about love, you fall in love, and you fall out of love. 
You fall in love, it just happens, it's a natural thing. You fall out of love, it just happens, it's a natural thing. And so when you couple what society says with what God says, where God says, I command you to love one another. This is my commandment for you personally. Don't think I'm talking to someone else. I'm talking specifically to you. Love one another. So here's the commandment. It's confusing because on this side we're seeing, well, it's something that just happens. But on this side we see God saying, no, this is something I'm commanding you to do. It would be ludicrous for God to command us to do something that's either naturally going to happen or not going to happen. And therefore we have no control over it. But God, all-knowing God, all-understanding God, knows that love is more than a simple emotion it goes beyond what our emotions tell us today and don't tell us tomorrow to a decision that is made. Love is a decision. So when God in Ephesians chapter 5 tells husbands, Husbands, love your wives even as you love your own bodies. Even as you care for your own body, even as you provide for your own body, even as you protect your own body, you are to care for your wife. You are to love her to the same extent that you do yourself. When God commands husbands to do something like that, he's not saying, well, do this if, you know, naturally it comes about. But he's saying, no, what I'm expecting out of you is to make a decision to love your wife. Now, how important is that? That's so important because you all know, those of us who have married or have been married, you know that there are days when you don't really like your spouse that much. Now, let's just be real in here today, okay? There are days when one particular party in the marriage leaves a particular seat up that should be down uh, in the eyes of the other party in the marriage and that other party happens to try and okay so you get where we're going with this right so it becomes a real issue and all of a sudden there's a butting of the heads there's a war that's taking place in the house because one person forgot to put the seat back down and uh, it's in moments like that and many others where you find that there's Struggle is real, that life is hard, and man, you're really having a tough time enjoying the company of the other person. I can tell you what, if we haven't made a decision at that point to love our spouses, our marriages may be in jeopardy. Marriages may be in jeopardy. Because that struggle is so real. Because the problems exist. This is life. This is the world. This is the world as we know it that's stained with sin. And as a result, so are our lives and so are our marriages to some degree. And because of that, if we don't determine ahead of time, I am going to love my spouse regardless. And when times like that come along, and times that are even much more serious than somebody leaving a seat up, And we've got some real issues in our marriage. And so God makes the commandment, I want you to love your spouse. I want you to love each other 
For those of us in other relationships, whether it's family relationships, work relationships, school relationships, society or community relationships, whatever the case may be, the same rule applies that we have a responsibility to love them on a different level than what we are used to loving people. God level, this level that only God can love. He laid down the perfect example for us. Ephesians chapter 5, he says that you are to walk in love even as God, uh, even as Christ who loved us gave himself for us. He gave himself. What part of himself did he give? He gave it all. He could have easily said, you know what, I'm God. And therefore, as God, I don't want to go through the abuse of the cross. You know, I love you, but but I'm, I'm just not going to go through the torment and the abuse of the cross. I'm not going to go through God's wrath being poured out upon me for you. I'm not going to go upon the cross and have God reject me, turn his back on me in that moment when sin is upon me. I'm just not willing to go through that. I love you, but there it is. No, he gave everything. Everything. And as husband and wife, God expects the same from us. He expects us to give everything completely, fully. Give ourselves fully to our spouses. And so God lays down the commandment. Here it is. Love one another. Love one another. Don't miss it. Love one another. Now, the second comes along, and it's uh, also greatly important. Number two, forgive. And following with number one, love one another, forgive one another. Oh, my. This is the toughie, isn't it? Forgive one another. Forgive one another. God gives us the command, gives us the example. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 32, if you want to write that down. Ephesians 2, 32. He says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Okay, so here it is. Be tender-hearted, be compassionate to one another, and forgive one another even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Okay, so forgive. Wow. Okay, so now that one takes on a whole new level of... Uh, expectation doesn't it I mean it's coupled in loving but forgiving is man that's tough because these things happen these difficult times come these problems come and and uh, as a result I want to hold to my guns and I want to stand up and say you know what I'm just not going to take that I'm not going to tolerate that and God says no it's not the way we're to be as children of God we are to be people who forgive. Forgive. That one's tough. And it's even tougher when you recognize the level to which God calls us to forgive. God doesn't call us to surface forgiving, but God calls us to the same level of forgiveness that He gave to us. So then, as God has forgiven me, a worthless, Filthy, dirty, sinful person. God reached down in his kindness and forgave me all. God then calls us to forgive all. 
Now you think about that with me for a second. Forgiving all, how important this is. Because I'm going to be engaged in things with my wife that it may cause me hesitation because I think, you know what, if I forgive her, she's just going to do it again. So I've got I've to stick to my guns. And all of a sudden, a very happy marriage becomes a marriage that has a lot of bitterness in it. It becomes a marriage that's difficult, that's trying. And so what do we have to do? We have to forgive. Now, please allow me to stray into something that may be controversial in some of your minds. But I I think that there are things that happen sometimes in marriages that are beyond our control, uh, such as infidelity or abuse. That number one has no business being in a marriage. And I'm not saying that if someone's abusing you or your child, that you forgive them and you just act like nothing's ever happened. I am saying that you forgive, but you forgive with the purpose of restoring. It may be that there needs to be a separation while you seek counsel from godly people to help bring that marriage back together, to bring healing. There are those who need, definitely definitely need healing. There are those who need to face the consequences of what's going on in their lives in order to bring healing to a situation. I'm not saying that you forgive and you you just completely forget about it. But that you use godly wisdom, common sense, what's best for the marriage. What's best for the marriage is not necessarily that I turn a blind eye to what's sinful in the marriage. But that I confront it. I deal with it. I hit it head on. And that may be that you can do it on your own. If it's a little thing like whether the seat's up or not, maybe you can deal with that on your own. But if it's something much larger, then you need to get some counsel. You need to get some godly people involved in the discussion. And I had no intention of saying this, but I think it's necessary. So we're going to drop it in here anyway. You better be very careful who you get your counsel from. And I can tell you from experience with dealing with many couples... That if you're getting your counsel from your friends, you're probably not getting the best counsel all the time. Because what do your friends want? They want to comfort you. They want to help you through that difficulty. They want to help you through that problem. And so they may be telling you things that that they think are going to encourage you and support you, but it may not be the best thing for you in the long run. And so it's very helpful to get an uninterested party involved. Someone that will just speak the truth to you in love. Because I guarantee you there have been times in our marriage when I absolutely thought the argument that was going on was totally her fault. I know you can't imagine that it would be my fault. But come to find out, you know what? 
took me years to understand it, but probably it was mostly my fault. I was so bullheaded, so prideful, so selfish, that probably most of the problems we encountered were my fault, and I just wouldn't admit it. And so sometimes we need that outside person looking in that'll just be straight with us about something. But regardless of where we go with this, it doesn't diminish the responsibility to forgive. It doesn't really matter what's going on. You say, that's harsh, and I know it's tough. You don't know what happened to me. I don't. You're right. But you know what? The Word of God does not change based upon our circumstances. The Word of God is always the same. There's no apology to be made for the Word of God. So when God commands that we forgive even as God has forgiven us, then the responsibility is there regardless of what's taken place. We have a responsibility to forgive. doesn't mean we forget. It doesn't necessarily mean that if the other person's not willing to reconcile that everything's going to be hunky-dory and fine. There may still be a parting of ways. But I can tell you one thing. When forgiveness is given, whether it's asked for or not, it releases something in you to where you will live in peace and joy that you could never have if you're wrapped up in that bitterness. Can't have it. I guarantee you, there's no way for you to experience lasting peace and joy in your life when you've got the root of bitterness taking hold inside of you as well. And so we have the same responsibility. It's an amazing thing about God's commandments. God's commandments are laid out, and we look at them and we say, man, he puts those there to restrict us and to cause us problems when every single thing God calls us to do is something that God wants to use to strengthen and to bless our lives. Everything. It's hard to understand that sometimes. Yet it's absolutely the case. And so God says, love, take that action step, have a healthy marriage. Forgive, take that action step and have a healthy marriage. But then he also brings us to this third thought. And i got to tell you something. This is the one that is the enemy of the first two. It is the enemy of love. It's the enemy of forgiveness. It's the enemy of your marriage. And that is the word remove. And to complete the thought, remove pride from your life and your marriage. Remove pride from your life, your marriage. If you're not in the marriage situation from your relationships, remove pride from your relationships. So God is very clear about this matter of pride. He says, I resist the proud, I embrace and I exalt the humble. Okay, so what does that mean? That means that if I'm prideful... If I'm hard-headed, I look at the situation and I say, if I forgive her, then everybody's going to think that I've let her run over me. If I forgive her, she's just going to do it again next week. It's just going to be another problem. And so I'm just not willing to do that. Not willing to do that. My pride will keep me from forgiveness. And when my pride keeps me from forgiveness, my, my marriage is in jeopardy. 
My marriage is in jeopardy. The harmony, the intimacy of my marriage is in great jeopardy. And so what I have to do, I've got to get rid of the pride. Now, as you get a little older, it's a little easier to do that. At least it was for me. In my youth, my younger years, I, I knew everything. I knew too much. And uh, it wasn't so easy to get rid of my pride. As I've gotten older, I've come to realize that I didn't know as much as I thought. That I didn't have it as together as I thought I did. That I wasn't everything I thought I was. That pride seems to scoop by a little easier. Don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of it bottled up in here. And I work on that constantly. But the blessing of doing this God's way, the blessing of removing the pride from my life in my marriage is that God has promised when I humble myself in a situation before Him and before others, God intervenes in the situation and exalts the humble. So then all of a sudden it's not me against my wife Now, because we've already established the fact that our love is, is set in stone, circumstances don't change the fact that we love each other, then when these things come into play, instead of me thinking, she's just trying to get the upper hand, or, or somebody's going to think that, that she's running all over me if I forgive her, and all of a sudden I push that pride aside and I say, because I know her love is constant, I know she's not just trying to destroy this marriage. I know that she's not trying to, to manipulate and, and work to destroy this marriage. And so therefore, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to forgive. Now that doesn't mean that we forget. We're going to work through this issue so it doesn't come up again. But I'm just going to remove the pride. And when I do that, God is going to work in that situation like he will not work when my pride is still evident and glowing. God's going to work. What a blessing it is to have the supernatural working in my little petty situation. But interestingly enough, to God it's not a petty situation. To God it is meaningful. It's something that he wants to engage. It's something he wants to work through and in. And so I have to love unconditionally, without time limits. I have to forgive unconditionally, without strings attached. I have to remove the pride from my life. And when we look at these things, we say, okay, those are easy to talk about. <laughs> those aren't necessarily so easy to do. Is there any help here? And that's where the fourth one comes in. Number four, keep. The word keep, to complete the thought. Keep Christ first in your life and your marriage. Keep Christ first in your life and your marriage. When Christ is first in my life, everything else lines up the way it's supposed to. You say, oh no, your wife is supposed to be first in your life. You know what, if I get this out of line, I put my wife first and all of a sudden she becomes my God. But if I've got my God first, he's the one that dictates everything else that happens in, in, uh, in, in line that follows. 
So I put God first in my life, then it dictates to me that I obey his commandments, which means that I love my wife unconditionally, I forgive her unconditionally, and I remove the pride from my life, which puts us in a very healthy, growing, vibrant, intimate marriage. I can't get that if God's not first in my life. And so I put God first in my life, and everything else gets in line the way it's supposed to. If God is first in my life, it's much easier for me to forgive. It's much easier for me to love. It's much easier for me to remove the pride from my life. I didn't say it was easy. I said it's easier. It's easier. It's still going to be a struggle because we've got this old human nature. There's still going to be a struggle. But when God is first in my life, the other things are much easier to do. And when God is first in my life, my marriage is what it should be. My relationship with my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandson are what they should be. My relationship with, our, with this, you, our church, is what it should be. My relationship with other people is what it should be. All of a sudden, everything else begins to line up the way it's supposed to. When I put God first in my life, Matthew 6, Jesus is talking. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do, all these other things will be given to you. Now, he's talking about some specifics, but I want you to know that the same principle applies when I talk about peace in my family. When I put God first... All of a sudden, I enjoy a level of peace that I wouldn't have otherwise. This is the reason I think this conversation is for everybody. We all have an idea of what we want our marriage to look like before we get married. Some of us are disillusioned because our goals and our thoughts are so high and because maybe we get some of these things out of line. But we all have this idea, and even the guys do. Ladies, you would be readily uh, available to speak about your ideas and your thoughts, the perfect marriage and everything. Guys probably wouldn't be as readily available to speak about things like that. But I can tell you one thing I've encountered with every guy I've ever talked to about marriage, and that is that to some degree they all want peace in the family. They all want a level of joy in the family. They don't want to run around having to fight all the time. I know some people like that to a degree, but there's a certain point where you just want some peace at home, right? And it all begins with putting God first in my life, putting God first in my marriage. Okay, so what do we do with this information? You know, I think that it begins with a time of self-reflection to where I say, okay, well, here's these four action steps. How many of them are I'm, am I legitimately taking? Now, I say legitimately. We may, be, uh, we may be partially involved in one or two of them, but, but I'm talking about wholeheartedly where we put our lives into this. This is... This is what we are doing. Not when we feel good, not when we feel like it, but all the time. This is what we're doing. How many of these four action steps are we, we really taking? 
And so we examine our lives. We say, you know what? I'm really struggling in the second one or the third one or all of them. And so then we take that information and we go to God and we say, God, I confess this is sin. I mean, it's not like you've, you've given me an option here. This is your commandment. And so as a result, if I failed in this, it's sin. And so God, I confess this is sin to you and I ask you through the working of your spirit in my life to strengthen me to complete these tasks. To move forward in love, to move forward in forgiveness and removing the, the pride from my life and putting you first in my life. God, give me the strength to accomplish this task. Now for others, you may be in a different situation completely where you're not a child of God. And, and as a result of that, you, you've got this whole different set of issues that, well, God's not directing your marriage. God hasn't promised to bless your marriage. And, and so you don't have the additional resources to, to, to put love and forgiveness and these other things out of your life completely. It's a little more difficult because God's not leading and calling the shots in your life. And, and you see through life itself that life is hard. Maybe, maybe you're really struggling in your marriage. You're struggling in your relationships. Maybe, maybe you're one of the reasons God changed the direction of this discussion today. And today you maybe come to an understanding that you really need Christ in your life. You really need to know Him. You want to know more about Him. Then here's what I would invite you to do with this information. In just a minute, uh, the instrumentalist will come and Jason will come to sing. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me at that time. And when I do, then I'm going to invite you to respond to the message. However God's leading you to respond to the message. If you want to know Christ is your Savior, then I would invite you just to step out to the aisle that's closest to you at that point and meet me right here at the front. Caitlin, I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. We don't do that stuff here. But what I would love to do is have someone share Christ with just to show you what God's plan of salvation is all about. At that point, the option is yours. Take it or leave it. I mean, no pressure. That wouldn't do you any good. Wouldn't do us any good. But just simply share with you what God says about salvation. If you'd like to know more about that, then I invite you in just a minute to come and meet me here at the front. I'll give you specific directions when to do that, okay? For others, maybe God's leading you to be part of our church family. He's leading you to, to be obedient to the matter of baptism. If you'd like to start those processes, either or both, then I would invite you to do the same thing. When I give you that time, that specific time to move, that you just come and meet me here at the front and let's get that rolling. However God's working in your life right now, whatever He's directing you to do, would you be willing to do that? Would you be obedient to God today?